We're going to run to Psalm 110 for a second and then jump into the New Testament again as we're seeing um, what, what these New Testament writers, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw that so, was so powerful, so noticeable about Psalm 110. So I'm going to read the psalm and then we'll jump back to the New Testament. I would love to go back and rehash what we did last week. But we won't do that. Um, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Well, so many thoughts just come from reading this passage is obviously about Jesus Christ. It is, again, the most quoted passage in the, in the New Testament from the Old Testament. It's about Jesus. It's about his sovereign reign as king. It's here in the present right now. He's the right hand of God. It's about Jesus as a great high priest, the priest that's a priest forever, not like the Levitical priests which were born into the priesthood, but this priest that comes out of nowhere, as it were, but he's the one who's the eternal priest, and he is this... Um, uh, without beginning uh, of days and without end of days, he is our forever priest. And then he is the, uh, the righteous. He's going to fulfill the prophet. The prophecy is this great prophet warrior is going to come and he's going to destroy the enemies. And he's going to sit and he's going to drink by the brook of the way uh, because he will be successful in the full uh, vindication of his holy name and in the destruction of all those who oppose themselves against him. So we have great hope and great consolation that Jesus Christ does reign and he will reign. So the first verse is the most quoted verse. It is this, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. There's many places in scripture and the New Testament where uh, a portion of this is referenced and is almost always referenced um, in, in relation to just the fact that he is the king, that there is no one that's higher than him. He's at the right hand of God. This is the place of highest exaltation. It's not just a, it's not a, a place next to the highest place. The right hand is the highest place, okay? So it's the, it's the highest honor that can possibly be given. He's at the very top. So he's at the very top in terms of who we look to in worship, Christ is the one whom we praise for his great work. He's the one who uh, all men should bow before. He's the one who will judge the earth in righteousness. Um, the keys of judgment have been given to his hand. He is the head over all things. He's the head over the church. He is the destroyer of death. Praise the Lord for that, right? He is the one who, has the, who is the firstborn over the dead. And so Colossians says, what this really means is that, that in all things... Christ has the preeminence. He's Lord over all. So all men, all kings, all churches, all peoples, young, uh, Psalm 148, young men and maidens, old men and, um, and children and babes, 
and cattle and snow and trees and seas and everything should fall and bow in worship and in humility before the one who reigns over all. Now, they don't do that. Not all, not all do that. The trees do, but not all men do. Not all children do. Not all, not all kings do. And yet, they still are under his authority. The wrath of man shall praise thee. Isn't that something? And the remainder of wrath, that wrath, thou shalt restrain. Um, he has... What he has purposed, he will do. My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. So hopefully right now, your favorite passage, the one that just rings truest to you, gives you the most comfort, your favorite passage about the kingly reign of Christ is coming to your mind. So usually, that's the direct connection that the New Testament writers are making in regards to uh, Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Hebrews is full of this right hand of God and under his feet. And, and by the way, just think about that for a minute. Um, raise your hand if, well, we have some in the church building, but raise your hand if at your house you have a personal footstool. A couple of you do. Yeah, you have a, a personal footstool. Now, not many of us do though, right? Now, I, I, I would guess that most of your footstools are very lightly worn, right? Because how often do you get to just sit and read a book and enjoy your footstool? <laughs> Not very often. Those things last forever. Now, um, there may be exceptions to that rule. Um, but, but, but now imagine that all of creation, all of mankind, relates to God in reality to Christ as just the footstool. Um, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. And then this even has a even higher, uh, even a greater connotation. They are under his feet. They are under his authority. They are under his rule. So this is a powerful image, isn't it? Um, now, here's where we're going to go. Hebrews chapter 8. Okay? Hebrews 8. Because I've been emphasizing and I would love to just turn to more. In fact, I'm just going to throw it out there. If you have something on top of your, up your mind, give me one verse that you love about Jesus being Lord or Jehovah being Lord over all. Okay, so that's, that's how that's, that, that is, uh, is, is, just goes right to his reign. Now, think about this, though. Remember, this psalm is, is, uh, is king, priest, prophet, king, priest, warrior. Um, so imagine if the one that is that high, okay? Not to imagine, it's true. Let's just use the word imagine, though. Imagine if the one that is that high is also your minister. And by minister, I mean the one who, the word minister is not a preacher. That's what you think of the minister is a preacher, somebody who just gets up and yells at you, right? That's not what we're talking about. Um, when we say minister, it's, it's one who, who serves on your behalf. So one who comes and you're, and you're, if we had a footstool, one who would come and then clip your toenails, Right? And one who would come and who would advocate for you when you're in a a time of need. One who would, uh, um, who would, who would bring your positives and take care of your negatives. Or maybe another word for that is priest. What if the one who is the highest of all was also your personal priest? 
And that's, that's exactly what Hebrews 8 takes from this Psalm 110. Listen to this. Now, of the things, and the things he's mentioning are, we'll go back to those later, some, some other point, some other point, that is that Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, of those things which we have spoken, this is the psalm, because this is what it's all about. Okay? So the psalm is the, is the compilation of, of all the parts. And this is the psalm. We have such an high priest. So, how good is our priest? Who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. How good is our high priest? How effective is our high priest? He he says, let me tell you where where he's at. He is set at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. So the one who is Lord and rules over all is there as rule over all in this combined role as king and priest or king and minister. Now, it's going to start talking, and if you read Hebrews, you know, you know, you know what it's going to do. It's going to start talking about this Old Testament way of doing worship. And I'm afraid that sometimes when we, when we, when we hear about this old way of doing worship, you know, the, the, the rituals and the sacrifices and all these, we just kind of, kind of fall asleep in that part, right? Because it's so foreign to us. Not only is it foreign to us, it's also some of the hardest reading in the Bible. So if you're on a Bible reading program and you're reading through Leviticus and Exodus, the blast, you know, Exodus is great. And you get to like chapter 24 and it's like all this stuff about the tabernacle and stuff. Um, or maybe it's 34. Anyway, it's 24 I think it is. Somewhere in there. You're like, oh man, it's February. I was doing so good. I'm not feeling too spiritual anymore. Maybe it's this cold weather. I can't wait till spring comes. I get in Psalms. Um, but it's some of the hardest reading because it's, it's, it's just different. It's foreign. It's completely different than our culture, our way of worship, all these things. It just seems kind of odd. And, and so I understand that. Let me just say two things. Number one, let me say, if you will dive into, into, um, in, into Hebrews and Leviticus at the same time, you will grow immeasurably. A few months ago, uh, I'm just going to call his name here tonight, Stephen Dalton said, Brother, I, I, I want to study something in depth. Give me something to study. So I said, all right, take Leviticus and Hebrews. And now my phone just blows up with text. This is so awesome. <laughs> this is amazing, right? And so I would encourage you, listen, it's rich, rich, rich study that will not just give you information, but it will, it will cause your heart to soar in praise of Jesus Christ, and it will strengthen your hope in Him as the anchor of the soul. Okay? So that's one thing. But secondly, it's not nearly as foreign as we might think. So think in terms of, of, of uh, rituals, if you will. You don't have any rituals. Well, of course you have rituals. Rituals or, here's the other two words that we're going to see here in a minute, offerings and sacrifices. So offerings are what you do to promote yourself or to show honor 
and hopefully to obtain favor, right? Look, Daddy, or look, Mama made you a Valentine's card. Oh, sweetie, you're so sweet. Let me give you some some candy. That's what you're doing, right? You want to honor your mom and you want to hopefully receive something back. Good favor. There's love there. But then sacrifices are things that you know you've got to do because there's something wrong with you. Right? Sacrifices are because we are guilty. And so we're needing to do something about our demerits. So offerings are this positive offering, and sacrifices are another offering to deal with our demerits. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, you may not understand anything about the heifer, the blood of a heifer being sprinkled. That may flatline. But you do something about both those regularly. Maybe something like this. Maybe like, you know, I feel close to God when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm having an, uh, an engaging conversation about theology. Or, you know, I just, I just feel close to God when, when, I'm, when I'm doing something nice for somebody. I feel close to God. Or, you know, when I do something wrong, children do this sometimes, they just, just break down in tears. I'm, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Right? I hope that'll get them out of the, out of the trouble. But the, the point is, everybody does something with both of these. Everybody does. And, and, and part of it is a way to hopefully appease God, and part of it is a way to make us feel good, better about ourselves. I'm going to really, really, really try hard today to read my Bible. So when I read my Bible, I may not have got anything out of it, but I feel good about myself if I read my Bible. And here's, here's the problem with all that. The problem with all that is not that any of those things may necessarily be wrong. They may be good things. But here's a devastating problem with all that. Here's what it says. Galatians 3. Listen to this. For as many are under the works of the law. That means there's something I'm going to do to offer or something I'm going to do to, to get better. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. None of those will do you any good. You're cursed. Here's why. For it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. The problem is, you've got to get it all right. Everything right. So maybe, maybe you're somebody who, who, who's, who's attracted to this. You love coming to church. And you love hearing God's word preached. And you're trying to honor the Lord. But you haven't, you haven't, you haven't come forward and, 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 and claimed Jesus Christ as your own publicly 
You haven't come to be baptized. You haven't said, I believe that he's, that he's died for my sins because you think, I just got to get it a little bit more right. I've got to make a few more offerings. I've got to make a few more sacrifices to make myself a little bit better place. And here's the thing. You will never get there. Ever, 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 ever. Because you've got to get it all right. Well, that's devastating, isn't it? Because none of us have got it all right. And so here's what he says in chapter 8 of Hebrews 8. We have such an high priest. Not like any ritual we could do. But this high priest is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Listen to this. A minister, there's one who's ministering to God on our behalf. So he's coming to help us. He's serving us and serving God. A minister of the sanctuary. That's the holy place. Which the Lord pitched, I'm sorry, into the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So, we, Nathan mentioned the temple tonight. In the tabernacle, in the temple, there was this place called the holy place. You know, you know all about that. And that's where they couldn't all go in, and the priests would go in once a year. But you know what? Here's the thing. The only thing that made it holy, I mean, and holy just means different, set apart, sacred. The only thing that made it holy is that God called it holy, and that God would send this presence there. But it was just, honestly, if you saw it, the material was just wood and, and common things that, that you can see anywhere. It wasn't really any different than anything else except for that God had said this is sacred. And so when they would go in and once a year and sprinkle blood on this, on, on this mercy seat, it was a wonderful symbol, wonderful pattern, wonderful picture but it didn't actually, didn't actually bring anybody up into the favor of God. Did it? Did it, did, it, did it pay for any sin? Did it take away any guilt? Did it offer something up as true righteousness to God? Not actually. But he's a minister of the true tabernacle. Of the true tabernacle. He's actually there with God. The one who is ministering on your behalf is actually at the right hand of the majesty. He's not just in this symbol, but he's there. He's in heaven. He's there with God, the Father. For every high priest is ordained, as it means they're commissioned to offer gifts and sacrifices. So you're offering these, these, these offerings of, of, of honor and praise. And he's offering these sacrifices on behalf of the guilt, the sin. Whereof it is necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Right? So if, if your job is to make offerings, you better have something to offer. Clear? This is what's so beautiful about Jesus, friends. Did Jesus have anything to offer? Did he have anything to offer God? Yes. He offered him perfection. He offered him 
un, unmitigated loyalty. Unmitigated love. Nothing, nothing tainted in the love that Christ had for the Father. Perfect love. He honored him. It is my meat and my drink. In other words, you go, it's, it's kind of a fun thing. Sometimes you get children that are shy around me talking. It doesn't really work very well, but I always do this. I say, hey, if you have any meal in the whole wide world, what would it be? You should be like peanut butter and jelly without the crust or something like that. But if you have any meal in the world, what would it be? And we all pick our favorite meal. It's our meat. It's our drink. It's my favorite thing. Jesus would say, my favorite thing ever is to do the will of my Father. Isn't that something? Well, well, but Jesus, what if the will of your Father is that you be humiliated? Give it to me. (laughs) What if He sends you from the glory of heaven to homelessness? Give it to me. What if He makes you lower than the angels? Give it to me. What if He brings you into his own, to your own, and his own receive you not. Give it to me. What if he comes into a world where, where he is light and men love darkness more than light because the light exposes their deeds? Give it to me. Does Jesus have anything to offer? Yes, he does. Not only that, it's not just what he does, it's, it's who he is. Right? It's who He is. This is the incarnation. This is the God-man. This is the, why it's so important we understand that Jesus is fully divine and fully man. Because here's, here's the thing He says. It says, if He were on earth, or if, if He were from the earth, He wouldn't be a priest. Because He wasn't born to the Levitical priesthood. But He's not from the earth. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to that later. But if he, were, if he were on the earth, He would not get to be your priest. So if He were just a man... He would not get to be your priest. He didn't come to the order of Levi. But instead, he comes from Judah. There are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve, and this is the beauty of the priest in the old day, they served unto the example and shadow. They're showing something that's not full, and they're showing as an example of the perfection that will come, the as, as, as Moses was a monster of God, he was about to make the tabernacle. He said, make all things according to the pattern shown there in the mount. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. There is something better happening for you. Something better being offered to God. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises, I have time to get into all that tonight, but just know this, Jesus comes by promise. Salvation comes by promise. The new covenant comes by promise. So Jesus comes as this high priest of a better promise. So in other words, our salvation is, again, by promise. The Old Testament was a covenant. I'm sorry, the, 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 he's comparing it to the, the Sinai covenant with Moses. It was a covenant of of mutual agreement, really, of mutual, of, of mutual uh, uh, responsibilities. So it's more like, if you will do this, you will see the good of the land. If you will do this, you will enjoy Canaan. If you will love the Lord your God, you will 
have victory over all your enemies. If you will follow me, none of these diseases will ensnare you. But didn't work, did it? Because remember, cursed is he who has to keep the law because you've got to do everything that's written therein. But Jesus comes. He comes as the mediator, the one to stand between, the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. This is a promise, the covenant of promise, that those who are in me and I'm representing, they will be brought to the Father. So listen to this. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should by no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. This is a different kind of covenant. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They did not obey. They did not continue. They did not bring the right offerings. They did not bring acceptable sacrifices. So here is the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now I'm going to stop right there and just, just mention that for a minute. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the law of God wasn't just right in front of us, but it was within us? Do you ever get frustrated sometimes thinking, Man, I, I do want to do better, but I'm just, I keep failing. I just keep messing up. I just, I just keep sinning. What if the law of God was in our heart? And it was written into our minds. And it became more and more prominent in our thoughts because it's deeply... We're deeply attracted to it. There's a great desire to follow God and to obey Him. And and what what if there was a real relationship with God where He was our God and and, and we were His people and, 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 um, and, and, and we would know the Lord and we would feed from Him and He would strengthen us and He would encourage us and He would nourish us. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that were the case? Well, guess what? That's impossible unless Jesus offers, unless there's an offering made to God that will satisfy God's just wrath against us. That's what the next verses say. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen? It happens because there is a minister, there's a priest who offers to God a perfect, a perfect offering and a perfect sacrifice. So he offers him an offering and he, him, he himself is the sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? The high priest offers himself. So he is doing this work and he is a sacrifice. What a beautiful truth. 
The high priest offers a sacrifice that is perfect. And God receives it so that God can show mercy to our unrighteousness. And he can forgive us our sins. And he can come and dwell in our hearts. And he can minister to us through his spirit to cause us to love right things more and to fight sin with more strength. And Jesus comes to live inside us to strengthen us by his spirit and to encourage us to pursue after holiness and love and forgiveness and all these things we desperately need. And all that's true and real and realized in real lives like yours because Jesus is the more excellent minister He is the one who actually gets the job done. We see that because of where he's at. We have a great high priest with a more excellent ministry than anything that we can do on our own. Keep doing it on your own. Your works aren't going to do it. Here's what we have to do, brothers and sisters. We have to cast ourselves upon Jesus. So if you're struggling right now, you feel like you're a failure, there's only one answer. Cast yourself upon Jesus. You can't get better on your own. But Jesus paid it all. And he's at the right hand of the majesty. That's where he's at. He got it done. He's a successful minister, successful priest. Throw yourself upon Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Psalm 110? That, offers, that shows us something far, far, far better. Far better than anything the works of the law can do. That's why Romans would say, so it's a faith that it might be by grace. Faith and works are always painted in the Bible as enemies. And so he says, believe on Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, hope, I hope you'll take strength from that. If, if, you're, if you're struggling over your sins tonight, I want you to see where the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's at the right hand of the majesty. Praise the Lord for that. 